I said, empty your mind. Be formless, shapeless, like water. It's about how hard you hit. It's about how hard you can get hit and keep moving forward. How much you can take and keep moving forward. Join movement expert Aaron Alexander as he dives into the minds of the foremost innovative healthcare thinkers and movement masters on their approach to optimal health and wellness. Align Podcast. Welcome back to Align Podcast. My name is Aaron Alexander. Today's gorgeous episode. We got to have Ari Meisel. He and I sitting in a hot tub at his place or his Airbnb in Los Angeles. He was out here uh, hosting a conference for Less Doing Academy, might be what it's called, for his people here in Los Angeles. Really excellent. He is a the author of the best-selling book, The Art of Less Doing, also a replaceable founder. He's been featured all over the place, from Wall Street Journal to New York Times, et cetera, et cetera. Um, he's dope. Uh, in this conversation, we get into his actionable tips on uh, productivity and why the heck it matters for him. He healed himself of Crohn's disease, which is supposed to be an incurable disease, and he sorted himself through that thing. And so we get into all that, just like the psychosomatic correlates of uh, disease that we experience throughout the day and why it matters to cut out the superfluous nonsense from our lives. Hope you enjoyed this conversation. Uh, thank you so much for tuning in to the website, aligntherapy.com, A-L-I-G-N therapy.com. On there, you can start the five-day movement challenge. On that challenge, you learn how to integrate more effective movement into every flipping thing you're doing throughout the day. Every moment can be some form of uh, healing your body, you could say, or making your body function better if you understand basic movement mechanics. That's what we get into. Uh, thank you so much for Faraday's for supporting this podcast. Faraday's is my favorite types of underoos, underwear. Um, they are made of bamboo and spandex, all stretchy and good organic material. And then they have this silver-lined nut pouch, I call it. It's like a silver-lined thread stuff that wraps around your general area so that protects you from EMF, electromagnetic frequencies, those pesky little little frequencies that are emitted from your cell phone, your laptop, and all the stuff. Um, and they're associated with like reducing testosterone, um, infertility, all sorts of things you just don't want to be a part of. This modern world is a scary place. Faraday's underwear is helpful with your nuts. So you can go to faradays.co, F-A-R-A-D-A-Y-S dot C-O, and use a line code at checkout. You'll get 10%. Uh, thanks so much, faradays.co. Um, I think we're good. We should just start this little mofo of an episode. So I hope you guys absolutely enjoy this. And um, yeah, if you have any questions, comments, ideas, uh, hit us up at the Instagrams at Align Band or Align Podcast. Thanks so much for reviews on iTunes. Here we go. Pow! Align Podcast. Making this shit happen. Yeah. Going down. can make it work. In a hot tub. Yeah. First ever podcast in a hot tub for me. It's exceptional. Just two dudes in a hot tub just doing a podcast. Just two dudes in a hot tub. <laughs> just giving each other deep tissue massage and... No, we're not doing that. No. Well, um, acro yoga, though. We did acro yoga. Yeah. My first time. Yeah. That was awesome. That's 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 borderline homoerotic. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Dude, so what are you doing out here? You're doing a... a, a uh, the Less Doing Summit. Is that right? Less Doing Live. Ah, shit. So it's a three-day event that uh, we do three times a year. Cool. It's primarily for people that are in my, my high-level coaching program, Less Doing Leaders. Yeah. And then like uh, uh, 10% are invited guests. And cool. it's 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 been really cool. The first day, was it was intense. Sweet. Yeah. 
what's what are you guys doing what's the main takeaways so there so it's a three day there are always three days the first day is the foundation so i i essentially teach the same material on that day but there's always sort of updates to it so i have this program called the optimized operator which is my sort of nine fundamentals for growing and scaling a business in a way that makes you as replaceable as possible as the founder cool. ideally and that makes you not a bottleneck so i go through that today that was the main learning and then the second day is our master class so we're gonna have eight speakers tomorrow it's gonna be a 12-hour day wow. uh, and then the third day is implementation so they actually get to build and set up the things that i've taught them how to do uh so it's not just it's not a learn shop it's a workshop they get shit done it's great mm. yeah and 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 then to answer your question too so the theme of this event is perfect your process and overall, what I do is I help uh, entrepreneurs who have opportunity in excess of what their infrastructure will support right. to set up systems and processes that empower a team to make themselves more replaceable. I like it. Yeah. When I hear that, the kind of like the nay, the naysaying side is, which it sounds mostly all positive, and then part of it is like, what about for like an artist or someone that wants to be deeply involved in their thing and they, and they don't want to be replaced? I guess it's just not for them. Or... Well, <laughs> yeah, well, right. So the so on the one hand, is is an artist, uh, except for maybe, you know, like a Damien Hurst or historically like Andy Warhol, right, is, is an artist building a scalable business? Yeah. Not necessarily, I wouldn't say so. Right. Um, however, if they are in the way that, like, maybe they're licensing their material, things like that, then that is something that they can certainly put a team around, right? And they shouldn't be involved in that. They should be focused on creating art. And that unique ability. So the whole idea with right. the replaceable founder, which is the name of the next book, is that I want to make people as replaceable as possible without actually replacing them. And we're always looking at how we can replace the how, not the what or the why. Yeah. Um, because at the end of the day, if you're not replaceable, you are a liability. Right. Yeah, exactly. So what are some of the, so for folks that are, would like to be able to like outsource some of the bullshit from their lives, like what are some stepping stones for people to start to be able to do that? So the, the whole framework that I teach is uh, outsourcing is actually the last step. Oh, good. So we start, it's OAO. So we start with optimization, and then we go to automation, and then we can look at outsourcing. And the, the reason for that is that the biggest problem that people face when they outsource is they try to do it as a first step. And if you think about it, if you take an inefficient process, a problem, something that you just don't want to deal with, and you dump it in someone else's lap, which is effectively what you'd be doing. Mm. To think that that's magically going to make things better is is crazy, um, and I love when I give talks and I say, you know, how many of you have ever outsourced something? And most of the audience will raise their hand, and I say, now keep your hand up if you've ever had a bad experience outsourcing. And most people will leave their hand up. And a lot of times, what that comes down to nine out of ten times, I would say, if you're outsourcing something to a competent, accountable outsourcing provider and you don't get the result you want, it's your fault. Yeah. You didn't communicate it properly. So we have to start with optimization. With optimization, I'm really looking at shining a light. You know, you look at the numbers. You look at how you're doing the current things that you're doing. And that's everything from what you're eating and how many steps you've taken that day to how you run payroll and how you do social media and how you create content. Everything we do is a process. And everything we can do nowadays can be tracked. And what gets tracked or what gets measured gets uh, improved, right? It gets managed. So... We start with that optimization, and I'm, I'm never going to be the one that's going to just throw a tool or a person at a problem. I always want to stop and look at how can we make the the problem more efficient in itself. And a lot of times, that's just taking things away. Yeah. 
uh, too often we get into a groove and I, I'm, I'm sure you can also probably relate this to body work, right? Where like you get into a motion or a way of doing something and then it just gets fixed that way uh, because that's how it's always happened, right? right. Until you kind of knock it back into place and retrain yourself. So you have somebody you say like, oh, well, why do you, why do you do your hiring process that way? And they're like, oh, well, we, that's how we've been doing it for the last three years. It works pretty well. Yeah, yeah but that's, that's not a good reason to keep doing it. Yeah. Uh, so you start with that identification. Uh, the other thing is that a lot of, one way to look at it too is that you can't read the, the label from inside the jar. So it's very hard when you're in it yeah. to actually stop and say like, okay, well, maybe we shouldn't be doing this anymore or maybe we don't need to be doing this anymore. Or, you know, that process that we have Carol and accounting doing every week, twice a week is just completely unnecessary. So we started that optimization. And then once we optimize as much as we can, then we look at automation. And nowadays we can automate things that two weeks ago a person had to do. Right. And you look at automation in terms of set it and forget it. What's the trigger and what's the action that I can eliminate? And the benefits of automation, the obvious ones for most people are that it's usually cost-effective. It'll run all the time. You know, It won't break down. To me, the biggest benefit of automation is removing or reducing errors. Yeah. Right. So the cost of an error is usually a lot greater than like the, the missed efficiency yeah. of uh, doing it ineffectively. That was something that I found to be really super important was, was being um, immaculate or precise with my language, with telling someone what to do. Because anything that could potentially, any, any type of vacancy that you have with your description of what's happening, from their perspective, they're not in your head. Right. So it will be missed. Oh, yeah. <laughs> From your perspective, it's like everybody's in my head is like, no, they're not. <laughs> they're not in your head. <laughs> no, you're absolutely right. And, and, and communication is one of those things that uh, I feel like people are very, very bad judges of their ability to communicate. And I'm guilty of it, too. Um, I, I uh, fired, I had to fire somebody from my team. And in my head, we had had three very distinct conversations where I told him he wasn't really living up to expectations and when it actually came down to i'm firing you or like you know i'm letting you go and he was like what do you mean i'm like um, i'm firing you and he's like he was shocked had yeah. no idea what i was talking about it just came out of total left field and again to me i was like we had talked about this we had talked about this several times and that's on me as a leader right so i'm not communicating that effectively but yes uh we we make all these assumptions we just figure that it they get it and a lot of times it's an inactive it's an active decision you'll say like oh no, no i don't need to tell them this thing right now you know, yeah. like in your head, you actually say like, oh, I should probably tell them to make sure that they, you know, send that to the, to the accountant when they get their expense report. Are there any takeaway points or mistakes that you've made in, in your communication with uh, people that you'd be outsourcing work to, for example, or anything for that matter? Yeah. Um, there was one mistake that ended up costing me about $32,000. <laughs> uh, yeah. So, I mean, and um, there, there are plenty and plenty of positive ones, but that was the particularly silly one where... Uh, I was using virtual assistants to dispute legally, but to dispute parking tickets, um, which there's a whole process for doing that in New York City. Based on having a commercial vehicle, I had a pickup truck, and like there's a there's a way to do it. Uh, but what ended up happening was they ended up submitting the exact same information like 300 times, basically, okay. and uh, they they caught on to that, <laughs> and then I ended up having to pay like triple the fines on all of it. Uh, so that was, that was a mistake. But again, I'll blame myself because I wasn't doing quality control and I wasn't checking on that kind of thing, even though it was a misinterpretation of my instructions. Yeah. Can you get, uh, you've already mentioned it 
probably quite a bit, but can you get into a little bit of why all of this less doing stuff is relevant in relation to like the Crohn's and just like your background with that? Yeah, of course. So after college, I went to visit a friend in upstate New York and I started working on this big real estate development project there. And I was rehabbing these old warehouse buildings and I was 20 years old and working my ass off. And the deal was that anybody that worked on the job had to teach me their trade. So I spent the next three years learning and doing every construction trade imaginable, Mm. Uh, everything from plumbing and roofing to asbestos remediation and sidewalk repair. I mean, I, I did it all. And it was incredible. It was the hardest I've ever worked in my life. It was the most I've ever learned in my life. And I managed a team of 50 guys, or, well, yeah, 50 guys. And at 23, I'd been working my ass off 18 hours a day. So this was three years later. I had racked up $3 million of personal debt. Damn. Yeah. Oh, because of real estate. Oh, I guess real, that can happen. Because real estate. <laughs> Those things happen. Uh, I was, but I mean, how was like your overall net equity or what, like was it like you were literally no no i was literally in like three million dollars oh then, yeah. shit yeah um <laughs> it took it took a few years to, to face that one and uh, i was smoking a pack of cigarettes a day i was eating mcdonald's twice a day usually uh and so i was just being very reckless and like self-destructive in a lot of ways so it was 23 i got hit with that and it took me from these 18 hour days down to like working an hour a day at best because wow. I was just so depleted. And for people who don't know what Crohn's is, it's a chronic inflammatory condition that affects the digestive tract, and it's considered to be incurable. So I did what most people do, and I became a passenger in my medical journey to begin with. And I had a, a really wonderful doctor, to be honest, who was not aggressive about this stuff. It was pretty gradual. But you know, within a few months, I was taking 21 pills a day, wow. and I was on systemic steroids for six months, which made me into a, a raging animal. And uh, eventually got on a drug called 6MP, which is an old leukemia drug. And uh, I, I believe actually was, was helping um, and gave me a little bit of respite, even though it had me throwing up every day. And I mean, it was basically like leukemia drug. So I got to a particular low point in the hospital. I'd been in the hospital a bunch of times, but this particular time, for some reason, something just, I don't know, clicked. And I was... I was up the whole night waiting basically to see if I was going to have to go into surgery or not and sort of get lucky. I got lucky and, it, and I, I was able to get released, but then I spiked 105 degree fever for three days straight and came out of that and basically was like, all right, I'm, I just got to do everything completely opposite of what I've been doing. Wow. So I basically, I became like a, a vegan for like a week basically. And then and it healed everything. Yeah. Right. And that was it. I was just, it was just shocked to my system. End of the story. Um, and so I was a vegetarian for about three months and then primarily was a pescatarian for the next like three years. But in that three months, that first three months, I, so I was so out of shape. I, oddly enough, so I'd been lifting a lot when I was on the steroids. Um, and I was just, I, w- I was just not, it wasn't good. It wasn't healthy. I was just angry. So I started on the Wii Fit, believe it or not. Mm, um, the video game. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. So and they have their fitness one. I was doing some push-ups and things. So I did that for about a month. And it started to like, I, I started to improve at it, right? Because it gives you a score and everything. It was like actually the perfect way to ease my way into fitness. Right. Because uh, I'd always been like sort of athletic, but never like anything uh, worth noting. And, uh, so after about a month of that, I, I, I sort of graduated and I was like, I need something, I'm, you know, I'm going extreme. Like, so I'm, I changed my diet, everything. I want to go extreme. So I, I found the insanity workout, 
which I don't know if you've ever heard of it. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I don't really know exactly what it is, but I think it, I get the idea. Yeah. So it's, it's high intensity <laughs> interval training, right? But it's, you know, of course, since it's, a t- it's an infomercial product, it's like reverse interval training. So it's three minutes on, 30 seconds off. Ugh. And uh, the first, it took me two weeks. It's a, so it's a, it's a 60 day program. It took me two weeks to finally get through an entire workout. But at the end of 60 days, I had lost 21 pounds. Um, I, I was eating really well, really clean, feeling really good. And, uh, it just so happened. Like my wife was becoming a yoga instructor. She opened a studio. I started teaching a cardio class and, uh, I became really fascinated in learning more about the body. So I became a yoga instructor and I started to train as an EMT, emergency medical technician. And so I met a guy during that training who had done some triathlons and he older guy and we became really good friends and he's like you should do a triathlon i'm like no i don't know like you know he's like oh we'll do one together like we'll do the mighty montauk pretty mellow so that was an olympic distance um triathlon in the hamptons so i all this while i'm slowly weaning myself off my meds so it took me about four or five months to, to get off my meds completely and my doctor was actually really supportive which was great and i started training for this this uh, triathlon and my first run you know, I, I thought I was in, like, decent shape because I'd been doing insanity and stuff. My first run, I got, like, three blocks. And I was like, fuck this. Yeah. Uh, and I turned back, and I did it again the next day, and I pushed and I pushed. And so three months later, I did the triathlon. I, like, I was basically doggy paddling. Like, I jogged half of it, but I finished it in two and a half hours, um, which was fine, which was good. But I just wanted to finish it, and I felt great to do that because I'd been so weak for so long. And so I'm teaching my cardio class after that, like a month later, and a friend of mine brings a friend of his who had just done an Ironman. And the class, uh, after the class, he came and talked to me. He's like, so you ever, you know, there's a great class, you know, ever thought about doing Ironman? I was like, no way in hell. You're crazy. Like, I would never do that. And I go, uh, we end that conversation. He leaves. I go into my office, and there's an email from my friend who's a triathlon, triathlete. And he, it just said, uh, Ironman France. July, uh, I guess it was uh, like June uh, next year. You in? And I wrote back, yeah. Nice. So uh, I got a coach who was reluctant to work with me because she thought that it would like trigger the Crohn's, but she was amazing. And it was Tammy, and um, I started training hard. And the real the project in Binghamton had pretty much been finished, but I was just like limping along, selling things to try to get out of this debt. And I got up to training, you know, 20, 25 hours a week, like a lot of mental shit, basically. Do you feel like you fought yourself into Crohn's? That I fought myself in? Thought. Oh, into Crohn's? Yeah, like it's a psychomatic stress-induced environmental. Yeah, so it's, it's one of those things with Crohn's, you know, it's not, there's no definitive answer on what causes Crohn's. There's a genetic predisposition component. There's obviously a gut component to it. Um, I'd been having symptoms since I was 14 in retrospect, but very infrequently, like once a year, the kind of thing that wasn't enough to get checked out. And I had an attack in college that uh, they said they thought was appendicitis, but then they were like, but it seems like it's okay now. So like, oh, your appendix just uninflamed itself. So go home. Uh, And no one ever told me to go to the, the, you know, a a GI doctor. So, yeah, um, I, I think that it was building and building, and I was doing everything wrong. Um, smoking is an interesting one because uh, ulcerative colitis, which is basically Crohn's that's just in the colon, mm. uh, is actually ameliorated by uh, nicotine, right. whereas Crohn's is, is worsened by it. 
Oh, interesting. Yeah, um, which is which is odd. So, um, you know why that is? No, 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 no. Yeah, nicotine makes it poop, relaxes the colon. Mm-hmm. It's pretty interesting that way. I just started using these uh, these uh, snus Swedish snus. Have you ever used those guys before? No, I've used the the sublingual spray. Okay. Actually. Yeah. So I have these snooze things. I got it from the the guys at Honor. Actually, they got me got me all hopped up on it. And like Rob Wolf and Dave Asprey and all these yeah. random people are like they're all about this stuff. Um, yeah. Dave does the lozenges too. <laughs> yeah, he's into it. Um, but I found like previously, this is dramatically more information than anyone ever needs. But I was like a one 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 poop per day, and then since I started using these these little snooze things. I'm pooping almost every time I put I'll use like one I'm just experimenting with it. But literally every time I put it back in my mouth, I do a poop. <laughs> <laughs> so the relaxation of the of the colon in your t- like to me, it's not just like, oh, that's like, you know, cute. Yeah. You know, it's also like, oh, this is seems like maybe there's maybe this is uh kind of a big deal actually. Maybe it's really valuable. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Don't know. So, so um that and the the bad diet, and then the, I think that just the inordinate amount of stress, uh, and it's just it's not just stress in general. You know, there are people who, I'm sure you have more commentary on this than me. I mean, there's people hold stress in different parts of the body, right? Yeah. Um, so anybody who's ever felt like butterflies in their stomach, if you think about that happening like all the time, and then eventually it's like it's a buildup and this the inflammation causes scarring and the scarring causes more inflammation and it's just wow. a self-forcing thing right is so. that the way that it felt for you it yeah like oh yeah flies all the time oh yeah no i was because i was i mean i was in a, a obvious like sort of self-destruct pattern i mean i was i had gotten out of a, of a relationship in college this like a pretty serious relationship and in retrospect i'll take it was so immature to even feel this way but you know i was just i was hurting myself like i was i was being reckless i wasn't being safe on the construction site um, I was eating terribly. I was smoking a pack of cigarettes. Like I, I wasn't taking care of myself and making that a priority. Yeah. So it's, you know, at some point the body breaks and you know, it's funny you mentioned about the, the snooze with me. It was like, literally I would eat something, anything and barely be able to make it to the bathroom. And somehow that never clicked to me that that was a problem, hmm. you know? So I, I think that absolutely I induced it. The fact that I was able to reverse it to me says that, yes, I induced it. Right. What are some of the, the takeaways for empowering people to be able to change habits? I mean, I think it's Tony Robbins that puts it really well, which is that the in order to make a change like that, the, the pain of not changing has to be ba- greater than the pain of changing. Yeah. Yeah. And where that came to a head for me was that uh, I was diagnosed about a month after I started a relationship with my now wife. Um, and so what I think happened in a lot of ways, and I've seen this in my life in many different sort of scenarios is I've been working so hard for three months or for three years rather. And then I get settled in this relationship and I like relax. And I think, you know, I've always felt like this, like I, like a study, study, study for an exam and then it's over and then you get sick. Right. Or like you just, it's like you're holding on and holding on. And then once you relax, everything relaxes and your immune system's like, all right, I'm gonna take a vacation too. Yeah. That's what it felt like. I don't know if there's any scientific nature to that, but um, I settled down a little bit. I relaxed, and then a month later, I got diagnosed uh, after a night of the worst attack I'd ever had on my on my uh, my senses. So that that was sort of a pivotal point for me. And at that point, it's like, well, I got to do something about this. And then I was sick for two years while we were together, and starting to feel like like it might kill me. 
and that I didn't want to miss out on this relationship or the future that we might have together or children or any of that stuff. And I think that started to hit me. So that one particularly bad night in the hospital where the turning point happened, um, I was, I was lying there alone and you know, you're being poked and prodded. I mean, it's a very, it's, it, it, it's a very degrading experience in a lot of ways. And the, the funny thing actually about that to me is I, I've had every test done like you can think of pretty much. And some of them are pretty invasive. Uh, I've, I've insisted on being awake for every colonoscopy I've had because it's like watching Fantastic Voyage. <laughs> uh, and <laughs> seriously, and I love talking through it. Like I find it really interesting. They wouldn't allow me to stay awake for my endoscopy. But uh, the, the least, one of the least invasive things I've ever had done was a sonogram. You know, which is just a wand on your body. And I just remember, like, breaking down crying during it. I just felt so, like, helpless lying on my side, you know, getting this sonogram. So, What do you think it was about that? um, Being at war with your body is very hard to comprehend for people who haven't experienced it. Right. uh, Because it's like being – it's like being in a room with an invisible man that can attack you at any time from any angle and there's really nothing you can do to defend it. And the anger and the fear only makes it worse. So it's like you're trapped constantly. And so in that moment, I just, I felt, I remember feeling really, truly helpless uh, when that happened. I don't know why that particular thing was. It's just, I was like on my side alone in a dark room with this, you know, random tech that was putting gel on my body and looking for kidney stones. Yeah. So... Yeah, uh, I, I think, and part of it is I think that control is the antidote to stress in general, um, and it's something I teach in business as well as in personal life. I really I really do believe that. Uh, I think that that fights the overwhelm that gives you a sense of, like, where you're at and what's going on. It just gives you, like, bearings. And uh, I had no control in that situation. I felt like I had no control. Yeah. How does one or did you or do you start to come into communion with the invisible man? So you start to look at the things that you can control, um, and there's a few of them, uh, one of which is information. Hmm. I had so much data. I was getting blood tests every five weeks. I was getting fucking echocardiograms and colonoscopies and uh, uh, fluoroscopy and uh, like functional MRIs and CAT scans, and I had all this data. And at the time, it was paper. They'd literally give me the paper, and I would just put it in a drawer. And so the very first thing I did was I started inputting the numbers in a spreadsheet. I didn't know what I was going to do with it, but I was like, I'm just going to do something with the data. There's got, I'm going to look for a correlation. Whether it's there or not, I'm going to look for a correlation. Mm-hmm. And that was a little something because I was like, oh, I think this does this. Why don't I try this? You know, um, I'm going to take like vitamin D for a week or, or for a month and then see what my test results show and see what I can come up with. And that alone was really, really empowering. Yeah. Honestly, because it, it, for me, it's like I knew that I might not be actually doing anything possible, but I just knew that I was doing something rather than just right. taking it. Um, so that's the that I mean, that was the first thing for me. But the truth is, nowadays, there's some very obvious things that people can and should be doing if they're at risk for Crohn's or dealing with Crohn's. And supplements are a big part of it. So most probiotics, I, I would say, on the market are crap. Um, but a really good probiotic can make a really big difference mm. very quickly. What do you think of a company called Biooptimizers? I don't know Biooptimizers. Okay. They sponsor the podcast, <laughs> so oh. I can cut this part out if you think they're shit. <laughs> no, I don't know anything about them. Yeah. Um, and that's, I'm always open to learning more about them. <laughs> uh, so far, I've been, I've been 
uh, appeased with them. Ben Greenfield got me into him. I don't know. I, I oh, he doesn't do Thorn anymore? Oh, and I guess he never did Thorn um, probiotics. Yeah, I don't know. So actually, they, right they now, seem good to me. I yeah, no, I mean that's you know, <laughs> so much stuff like that, like like with like fish oil and like <laughs> even CBD. Like CBD is like the the sexiest thing in the world right now. Mm-hmm. I honestly don't notice any difference. Yeah, like I take it fucking all the time because like people send it to me. And I'm like, sure, like that's great, CBD, coconut oil, and butter right. and everything. But I don't actually notice anything. Yeah, you know, I think it's it's probably having a great effect. Maybe I'm just not sensitive enough to it, to do it. <laughs> but I think so much of that stuff is just a sensation of empowerment that like I'm doing something. Right. You know, we all like placebo is always you know at least around fifty percent as effective as any type of pharmaceutical drug that you're using. Totally. You know, so when you have that cabinet of shiny potions that you spent lots of money on and you like really believe it, it's like fuck yeah. Yeah. It's it's got power. If you believe it, it has power. That's right. I agree. Yeah. Um, so that I mean, diet is very personal, but I think that in general, uh, a, a higher fat, maybe not like a like macro wise, but like just implement or introducing a lot more good fats into your diet is something really good for Crohn's and important. Yeah. Because so this is a funny thing, is the nutritional link to Crohn's is is kind of poo-pooed by most of the medical community and a lot of a lot of uh western medicine doctors basically say like oh, it's, it's not about nutrition right it's just it's just your genetics and this is what you're gonna live with yeah it's scary um and of course that leads to misinterpretation in some cases so uh one my doctor said something to me at one point that suggested that iceberg lettuce might have been the culprit of one of my particular episodes. Mm. And my response to that was to literally develop a phobia of greens. Right. For the next like 12 months. And so like, like, I mean, honestly, like if I got a sandwich with shredded lettuce on it, which I probably shouldn't have done anyway. Uh, and I asked them not to do it, like hold it, you know, and there was three strands, like I'd have like a panic attack. Yeah. Um, so obviously that's not what he meant. Um, and but that's how what I interpreted. So I, I avoided greens, and it's probably it's probably the last thing that I should have done because at the end of the day, having really hearty, fibrous greens and red cabbage and things like that were really good for me. Yeah. Because it's it's a muscle, right? And if you don't work it, it's going to get weak. Right. Uh, and then another one was around uh, uh, the the fats. So typically with uh, Crohn's, they'll tell you to avoid fatty foods, but what they really mean is like fried carbs. Right. They mean don't eat French fries. Right. They don't mean don't have salmon and don't have coconut oil. But you hear don't have fatty foods. And most people will be like, oh, shit. OK, well, that's a fat. Right. So I'm not going to have that. Yeah. So I end up on like an all carb diet, basically, wow. which is not what you want, um, because not because uh, like I never went gluten free um, and Crohn's is not celiacs. Right. So that was not something that was like was useful for me all that information but at the end of the day again i'm 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 basically just eating carbs nonstop which you know as we know is sugar and sugar is inflammatory <laughs> and like it's just like the worst possible thing i could have done mm. uh there's also so much misinformation about it like uh a good example is peanut butter so <laughs> you ask a nutritionist you know should someone with crohn's have peanut butter and most of the most that i've talked to will be like yeah just have the smooth one don't have the chunky peanut butter. Now, the truth is, is that uh, peanut peanuts have, uh, I think it's aflatoxin on them, and a particular kind of aflatoxin that seems to be really highly linked with Crohn's. Mm. Right. So the truth there is, you shouldn't have peanut butter at all. It's not about being chunky versus smooth. Right. But it's just misinformation. Now, at this point, I can eat anything I want um, and have no issues because I've healed myself and I don't eat 
badly often, but I can, and I don't have to stress about it. Because that's another thing too is I work with a lot of kids who have Crohn's, and you're seeing people younger and younger getting diagnosed, like 10, 11, 9. How do people, what are some steps to be healing healing the guts via food? What are like some, is there anything that stands out for you? Yeah, the, the, the good fats for the most, like okay. super levels of good fats. Butter is wonderful. You know, butter is is for, you know, butyric, butyric acid, right? Which is one of the things that feeds gut bite and bacteria. Huh. Uh, uh, coconut oil and avocados and avocado oil and all those kinds of really good fats are the things I think that really satiate and really sort of heal and soothe the gut. But the other thing that we have now, which we didn't have years ago, is a test called Viome. So have you done Viome? I haven't done it yet. No. Yeah, but you know it, right? Yeah, yeah I'm familiar. Yeah, so so you might people might be familiar with like U Biome or some others. It's getting hot, right? Yeah. Um, I'm just pulling. Yeah, but pulling half the torso out. Yeah. But uh, Viome uses a very different kind of test, and it will give you a really great breakdown of the bacteria that's in your gut, the good ones, the bad ones, um, and the foods that you should be avoiding and not avoiding based on your gut bacteria makeup and how you want to feed that, which is really interesting because it's not like your blood type, although it's probably related. It's not your allergies, although it's probably related, but like it's a much more uh, sort of granular and pragmatic approach, right, to diet. So, like, my results from Viome says that basically I should be eating 50% of my diet is should be complex carbs, hmm. which uh, I, I don't think you see that a lot. Um, so, I metabolize carbs really, really well and the complex carbs. Uh, and one of the things that it told me, which I thought was fascinating, was that I should be eating as much lamb and uh, and chicken, white meat chicken as I want, but all of the other meats I should really be sort of avoiding and using sparingly. So I shouldn't be eating too much beef. I shouldn't be eating um, too much um, uh, like bison they put in there. I mean, all these sort of other ones, but it's just, it's just interesting. Um, and, and it turns out that now I actually have really good butt, uh, gut, uh, gut bacteria and a really good makeup from it. How much does the, the mental component impact you how much was was that a, a a tool with like meditation or anything like that along the journey yeah enormous so i never i, I, I would say that i've never i was never successful with meditation okay. um <laughs> it, 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 as successful as you can be right <laughs> the meditation for me came in a couple different forms uh that i wouldn't i don't think most people recognize as meditation so one of which was boxing Oh, good. Um, it's one of the only to this day it's i still box and it's one of the only situations where i can truly zone everything else out hmm. um, now I, I, I fight I spar so actually getting hit in the head is a realistic thing right and it happens and so it's if you're not present you're gonna get hit more and it's gonna hurt yeah right so it's it's that's been a wonderful thing for me uh, and then the Ironman training itself you kind of had to get into a meditative state because when I was training for it, the majority of my training was actually in the winter and so I would get on my bike on a stationary bike trainer in my office and watch Netflix documentaries for four hours straight while I had my ass in the saddle, you know, and it's just mental training. It's like, it's mental toughness. Yeah. And a lot of it was self-talk telling me like the Crohn's is not going to beat me and I am going to beat it. And I ended up having to tell myself that in the race as well. Uh, and I ended up being fine in the race. My, my coach was convinced it was going to trigger something, but I was fine. I mean, people with completely healthy guts end up like shitting themselves in the marathon quite often. Like yeah. it's just one of those things that happens and I was fine. Um, so those sort of long stretches in my own head were my meditation. 
and I think they were instrumental. So doctors tell people that they're not able to heal their their guts with Crohn's disease. Right. You can't you can't heal the scarring. That's that's it's medically impossible. Which it's it's not. It wasn't for me. Is, uh, are there a lot of other people that share that same same story? Yeah, and I mean I've I've counseled and replicated my results in dozens of other people. Wow. Uh, so. The scar, it's, I mean, yes, theor theoretically, you should not be able to heal scar tissue, right? Because scar tissue is, it's like a permanent kind of thing. But um, I've shown under uh, advanced fMRIs that uh, I have had healing. It, it, the best example of this for me was there was a, there's something called a barium transport study where you go in and you drink this, uh, this like peppermint flavored, very thick, very heavy milk and like a big thing of it, like several quarts. Um, and it's nauseating and it's horrible. And, uh, and then they basically put you under a scope and they watch it move through you and it coats everything and fills in all the coats so they can see really well. The first time I did that test, it took four hours for all of this stuff to go through me. Mm. And they measure that. The, How long is it supposed to take? Well, the last time I did it, it took 15 minutes. Wow. Yeah. So you think about that, right? It's like... Ooh. The, the, the stark difference. I mean, it was shocking because I get on the table and they're like... Uh, okay, well, we're done. Like, what What do you mean? Like, the first time I did it, there was, like, eight sessions. I had to keep going back and drinking more and going back. And and then this time, it was just, like, right through me. And it's very heavy, so it's not, like, right through me in a bad way. Like, it, it goes through you. So, um, I mean, they, there was no more narrowing. Like, it was, it was healed. It was wow. really healed. And another thing, too, with the training for me... And I still don't have the scientific correlation with this. I, although I, I know that it's, it, I know that it's is important, is that because I was I was training at such a high volume, I I really I turned my body into like a furnace. I mean anything right. any food I put in me was just going to burn right up basically. That was the idea. Yeah. That I was mentally training myself for. Um, again, whether that's true or not, that was the visualization for me. It's like I'm going to train to the point that if I put a whole cow down my throat, like it's going to just burn up. Yeah. I think it's interesting the 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 sensation of feeling empowerment with you know you're you're taking the supplements or you're taking control of your health but there's also the the same correlate I think with empowerment in your life like feeling like you're taking control of your day you know, so, Oh yeah you know so I think that that's like the conversation of nutrition versus the way you organize your day versus your movement I think they're all just it's all tied to the same hub you know you can pull yeah. on that from from very all the various different strings one of the things you mentioned in the in the the art of less doing was to uh, seventy percent of most of our day could be, I think it was outsourced is what it says. Uh, no, there. offloaded. Offloaded. Yeah, it should be. So it's seventy percent of the things you do every year should be offloaded. Basically, like you should basically essentially be like a, a, a snake molting its skin, right? Every year huh. you need to shed seventy percent of the things you do and do new things. Huh. Yeah. Shed what you're doing and do new things, as in just evolving on to do like on to the next project. Yeah, I mean, if you think about it, right? Like you can't you can't move on to things unless you clear your play a little bit, right? Right. So you have to you have to use this sort of uh, idea of clearing that out, filling that up with new, better, bigger things. That's cool. And uh, and progressing, right? We can't progress if we don't change or let go of the things that are actually a better way to put that is especially in a company that's growing, the thing that gets you to this level is the same thing that will prevent you from getting to the next level. Right. Hmm. So if you want a specific example, that's so that that really is concrete. Yeah. 
typically what we see with businesses that are doing between 100 and $300,000 in revenue, the primary focus at that level is leverage sales. So they want to get as much sales going as possible and bring that revenue in the door. 100000 is typically the point where the entrepreneur goes full-time in the business. So now they're like sales machine. The problem is that it's too easy to get into a mode where you're just like, well, I'm just going to hit the phones and call everybody I know and just bring in the money and like you get a fuel from it. Right. At some point, though, you create more opportunity than your infrastructure will support. So to go from 300000 to a million, you need to be building systems and processes that replace you. But if you're stuck in that sales mode, you can't do that. So the thing that gets you to that level is the same thing that will keep you there unless you break out of it. How do people break out of that? By uh, recognizing new systems, by optimizing, op- uh, automating, outsourcing, and seeing what they're doing, and al- and also having the discipline to break away and and work on the business rather than in the business. Right. Uh, you can't. I like I said before, you can't read the label from inside the jar. So you have to be able to take an hour a day or a day of the week at least and just work on some sort of process that expands the business beyond you. What are the books to read or the coaches to see? me yeah, I, <laughs> I, I, I agree um, I mean so our next book is my next book is gonna be called the replaceable founder which will really lay this out quite a bit but we have uh, the optimized operator course that teaches us what I do in all of my coaching programs when I'm working with people and advising them and we also do consulting with companies as well mm. but um, there's there's all sorts of I mean lean startup is great as far as I'm concerned scale up from Vern Harnish is also really great and you can take a lot from those. But if I were to go like OG, uh, the all the lean manufacturing principles from Toyota from like the 40s are absolutely incredible in my mind. Hmm. So that's where we get Kaizen, which is the constant improvement idea. That's where we get something called um, uh, Gumbuchi Koji, I think, which is where the work happens, meaning like if you want to know how to improve the shop floor, as a manager or leader, you have to go to the shop floor and see what they're doing. That, so that's where we get Pokeyoke, which is an intentional stop in a process to avoid an error. I mean, it's, it's some of the best stuff that has been e- adapted over and over, but that's the original in a lot of ways. Cool, man. We should wrap this thing up soon. Sure. What's, uh, what's, what's new for you? What are you excited about these days? So, well, we're here in LA right now for this event yeah. and we do these events three times a year. So the next one's going to be in New York in September. And I'm really excited because these these events are primarily meant for the members of my uh, Less Doing Leaders coaching program. And it's their 40-person events. And at this event, we had 10 spots for guests. The previous event, we had 15. At the next event, there's going to be five spots for guests, basically. So the fact that it's a group, it's an event for a group that I'm coaching, and I know them, and I know what their issues are, means I can really curate this incredible experience uh, that's really impactful for them. So that's really exciting for me. Um, And also, I started Less Doing about eight years ago. And three years ago, I launched another company, which was an outsourcing company, and sort of derailed for almost two years with a with that with a partner, grew that, and then split from that company uh, about eight months ago. So in a lot of ways, I've relaunched Less Doing about eight months ago with a new team, new programs, new everything. And the last eight months has just been incredible. So we're in a lot of ways like this is we're still in the first year yeah. of this company. There's a couple points in the Art of Less Doing book that I I literally like just recently read it, so I'm I'm all excited about it, which I'm I am in the process of doing a book right now. And so reading that book, I'm like the universe. Like this is the perfect <laughs> book to be reading right now. 
Um, so taking control of your day, taking control of, of your hour. One of the things you mentioned in there was like having like a magic hour, or hour and a half. There's like the a, a time, time throughout peak yeah. time. Can you break that down in, in like some abbreviated kind of way? Because we are, we should probably get back in. But yeah. Um, so there is a time in the day, typically 90 minutes, depends on who you are, uh, when it is, and it's. In that time, you are two to 100 times more effective than any other time of the day. And by effective in that context, we mean that you are more able to get into a flow state. Huh. Do you and, know why that is? Uh, why there's that period? Yeah. Yeah. Well, so if you look at like chronotypes and like there's different ones for different people and how you, you know, there's people who are night owls and morning morning uh, larks, whatever you call it. And uh, there's there's a couple others in between there. So that's sort of the, the vast generalization. But we just see there's people who they work great at 11 o'clock at night. And there's other right. people who want to get up at 5 in the morning and, 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 you know, do their homework before school. Like, there's those people. Yeah. So just as we have that difference, there's also this point in the day that is your peak. It's the, it's the point where your neurons are firing on all synapses, right, and like, or on all cylinders. And uh, what I did was I actually correlated heart rate variability with this using the CNS tap test. So, you know, that, yeah. yeah. Well, I read about it. Oh, right. I okay. I haven't done it. So, this, so, and I actually have an app for this that will help you calculate this. But basically, the CNS tap test, you just tap your finger as fast as you can for 10 seconds, count the number of taps. And it's literally something that the Mercury astronauts did. Like, this is a direct corollary to the health and recovery state of your nervous system. Mm -hmm. And so, I had this hypothesis that if we could identify the point in the day when your nervous system is at its best, according to the test, that should correlate with your peak time. And it turned out to be true, anecdotally, but people have described the results really miraculously. So then if you take that hour and a half period and you protect it and you do your best work or your highest and best work rather, meaning so if you should be doing sales calls better than anybody else, do it then. If you're a writer, that's probably your best time to write. Yeah. And you protect that and you do that, you'll see a, a massive improvement in your productivity. Yeah, you said we're better sprinters than, than marathon nerves when it comes to work productivity. For mental work, yeah. Mental it's work uh, it's very hard to keep pushing and pushing without breaks, without structured breaks for so most people. Pomodoro. Yeah, which is, is not mine. Yeah, so Pomodoro is great for people who need to sort of create the discipline around this. The, and, and what is it? For folks? So with Pomodoro, you set a timer for 25 minutes. You start working on typically one task and you work and then when the 25 minute comes up and the timer goes off you stop and even if you have to interrupt yourself mid-sentence you stop and you take a five minute break yeah. and you give yourself an x that's one pomodoro and then you come back to it and you do that a few more times and uh the idea there is that structured break is really good as sort of a refreshment basically and also the interruption enacts this thing called the zigarnik effect which makes that information easier to recall uh, the the thing that you can do though that, that a lot of people aren't aware of is you can play around with the ratios so it's 25 and 5 uh, depending on the kind of work you're doing you can change that to be 15 and 10 or uh, 51 and 17 if you're a programmer that turns out to be one of the best ratios you know but like for me there are very few ta like I don't do a lot of my own writing anymore I usually just talk it out with my writer and she does it so there are very few single tasks that take me more than 25 minutes now so it's not cool. you know so for me I'll do a shorter one Wow. Um, all right. The last thing I want to say, the one of the things you mentioned in the book was the um, just tips for people to be able to consolidate information, be able to remember things better. Huh. One of the things that you mentioned in there was uh, having a, at least, well, you, you said it's been shown that a nine, there's a study that you mentioned in there, nine minutes of rest of not thinking about anything after learning something allows you to be able to retain that information a lot better. 
Yeah. And another thing is, is taking a walk. This wasn't in the book, but taking a walk right. also helps helps consolidate that information. Yeah. So we feel like sometimes that we need to like drive and keep going, keep going, more like marathon style. Yeah. But giving yourself that break to go, I think looking out into the distance, I haven't seen any studies about that, but I think it allows that information to almost start to perforate and penetrate into your mind and into your body. We're so stuck into that screen, I think at some point we become closed off. Yeah. So I really appreciate that in the book. Yeah. All right, dog. I really appreciate us doing this. This is great. I'm yeah, glad that we this got was to sit fun. Absolutely. So right now we are in a hot tub in Encino, which mm. uh, is on like north of Topanga in California here, just for visual. All right, uh, wrap it up. Any final closing? Did you mention where to find your your stuff? No, you didn't really. Where no, the heck no. do you find your stuff? You go to lessdoing.com. <laughs> That's where you got the. So we have a first of all we have a free Facebook group that everyone should check out called Less Doing Labs. Uh, but we have uh, everything's on lessdoing.com. The pod, my podcast, the medium blog, the the programs, everything, and then I'm on most social medias at Ari Mizell. Perfect. Cool. Thanks. Thanks, brother. Appreciate it. Good times. Over and out. Align Podcast. Thank you guys so much for tuning into that conversation. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. There's some ways that you can support this podcast, one of which you can pick up an Align Band, which is a heavy-duty resistance band. It comes along with a door anchor and a carrying case and a video guide on how to mobilize those joints and integrate that body of yours. Really great stuff. You can be found at AlignTherapy.com and also on Amazon.com. Um, thank you also so much for utilizing the Amazon affiliate link on the right-hand sidebar of the podcast page. Bookmark that thing. Anytime you purchase some crap on Amazon, purchase that crap. Through that link, we get a percentage of it. costs you nothing. And I think that's enough. Thank you guys so much for reviews on iTunes. Thank you for listening. Thank you for supporting. Have a beautiful rest of your day. Pow.